I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and filmmaker Joshua M. Green. His new book is Unstoppable, Ziggy B. Wilzig's Astonishing Journey from Auschwitz Survivor and Penniless Immigrant to Wall Street Legend. Joshua M. Green delivers a captivating story as well as an historic document that will resonate with readers long after they finish his book. This one-of-a-kind rags-to-riches adventure follows a young boy from starvation on death marches to dinner at the White House and recounts the volcanic, miraculous life of Ziggy Wilzig, who survived the Holocaust to become one of the biggest and most unexpected successes in post-war American business. A featured speaker at the Pentagon, uh, Joshua Green frequently lectures at state bar associations on issues of war crimes law. He has spoken on issues of Holocaust memory for NPR, Fox News, and his editorials have appeared in the New York Times, the LA Times, and the Chicago Tribune. Welcome to the show, Joshua. Good morning. Thank you. Good to have you here. You know, I guess the first question is, I mean, when you, uh, the, this the the person the uh, hero of the book um, is like this really incredible character. I mean, it's uh, going as we say from the Holocaust to being what a billionaire, I guess, it, on Wall Street. So my first question is, why haven't we heard of them? Why don't we know about him? Why ha- you know he's an American hero, um, but most of us I don't think have ever heard of Siggy. Well, first of all, uh, it's a good question. Uh, if you were in New Jersey, you would know of him. Uh, he's extremely well known uh, among the com- business community of New Jersey, where he built his bank trust company to more than a hundred branches, starting from scratch. Um, if well, I'm in New York, so that's why I haven't heard. Oh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one good reason. You know, you can't venture out uh, too far. You know, so I don't. No, no, yeah. that's. You don't cross that river. Um, yeah, right. I think another reason is that there, there's what's sometimes called Holocaust fatigue. I think people are just very tired of sadness. Um, it's been a rough time these last few years. You know, why go back into another story of despair and so on? So while there are many survivor memoirs that are coming out, um, a few of them never reach uh, the kind of, uh, let's say, renowned as the Diary of Anne Frank, for example. Um, Siggy Wilzig may change that pattern. Uh, this is a real hero story. Uh, he came out of the worst imaginable. I mean, what he went through makes what we've been going through seem kind of easy by comparison. Um, and yet he never lost his love for life. He would sometimes get up in the middle of a restaurant <laughs> and start singing and dancing for joy. Uh, that's why I decided to write the book. I, I had been done with the Holocaust. I had been done with the darkness. And then when his son introduced me to his father's story, I said, this has got to be told. It's always amazing to me, and I think there was a, uh, was a couple weeks ago in the New York Times, they were writing about the women of the Holocaust, the, the ones who were mm-hmm. part of the uh, partisans who were out there fighting that you never, or yeah. that many people had never heard yeah. of. and. Um, read one of those books too. How do people do it? I mean, it's it's some people survive can, are able to do that, and others are not. I mean, like in your uh, writing the book and in your research, where does it where does that strength come from? Not just survive because it's not he didn't just survive; he thrived <laughs> more. Than, yeah. So that's a big difference. Many yeah. people survive the Holocaust, but they mm. that's it. 
I, I don't mean that that's it, but very unable to. No, no, you're necess- quite right. Yeah. Not everyone yeah. coming out of that very dark time found the wherewithal to rebuild their lives and discover joy again and love again and and, and really flourish. Um, you don't go through two years in Auschwitz without suffering the most imaginable psychic and physical and mental damage. I think the answer, the, 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 if Siggy were here, the answer he would give you is that it was the hand of God. There were times when just going this way instead of going that way saved your life. And in a concentration camp, you never knew. I mean, there was no amount of finagling the circumstances um, that would uh, increase your odds. However, that said, Siggy, from a very, very young age, and I researched him going back to his childhood in in a little village in, in West Prussia, was a very, very resourceful kid. You know, he was 16 when he went into the concentration camps, and he found ways of surviving. He would hear the guards talking about how they needed uh, bricklayers. So he would step right up, and this is something that could get you killed. If you dared to just speak up to a, a Gestapo guard in, in a camp, they could, you, you could get killed. He would say, I've had two years training as, as a bricklayer, and they'd put him to work as a bricklayer, and he'd learn as he went along. Or someone said, we need help in the hospital. He'd say, oh, I've had two years working as a doctor's assistant. And he'd find a job indoors in the hospital. He was cunning in that way. And I think one of the takeaways for me, Catherine, is that in this particular survivor story, we are reminded that we humans are actually quite resilient, that we have resources that we forget. We're just not aware that we have. And under duress, under extreme circumstances, we find those resources. And I thought that was a message worth sharing with people. And I think one of the other things as you're describing him is, you know, he hears the Gestapo or hears the soldiers talking about bricklaying and he steps up. Being aware of your surroundings, I think uh, all these, not only his story, but other stories that I've read about those who survived the Holocaust that constantly being sort of reading your surroundings, um, not necessarily attributing it to God, but just being someone who is always conscious of what's going on and then making a choice or a decision and that you always do have a choice. If, if you, you know, if you can keep that, that, if you always think about, I do have a choice, even in the, even in the context of the concentration camps. That's a very, very good point. Um, a story comes to mind. Um, in January of 1945, the Germans could hear the Russian front approaching from the east. So they decided to march any remaining prisoners out of Auschwitz to camps deeper inside Germany. So Siggy sets out with a rag around his shoulders as the only protection he had against a freezing cold winter. His shoes were wooden shoes held together by rotted uh, shoestrings. And, and the shoestrings broke off in the cold. If he didn't have shoes, he would get frostbite. And your body was so emaciated, having been through a camp like that, you couldn't fight off infection. You would die. So he had said, what do I do? What do I do? And when they stopped from, for the night, he saw that there was a, a, a thin birch tree. And in his pocket, he had a spoon that he'd kept from camp. He went over to the tree. He scarred, scored bits of, of bark off the tree braided the little bits together and wrapped them around his shoes. He stood up and he tried it, and sure enough, they held. Uh, Literally a thread of bark 
saved his life. And the point there, I think, is very much to what you were saying. If we're aware of our circumstances, um, if we don't give in to the despair, there are resources that come to our help that we might have never imagined. What would you say, no, okay, so he did survive, and he, as we said, he did survive and more than thrive. So he comes to New York City, uh, 20 years old. I mean, he's a, he's a kid, right? And yeah. he doesn't have a dime. And what did he do? How did he, that's another kind of survival, I guess, I mean, I would say, right? It's being able to survive at 20 years old in New York City alone and with no money. Yeah, and, and an immigrant. And, and an immigrant. A Jew, and a Jew. And, and less than five and a half feet tall. This little shrimp of a guy is the way he described himself. He's my um, size. <laughs> he did what you said. Huh? I said what, he's my size. That? Yeah, he's my <laughs> size, five and a half feet tall. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, then you know. Um, yeah. And he did what you said. He, he took stock of his circumstances. He's, look, he started off with whatever he could find. He started by cleaning toilets in sweatshops. Uh, he earned a dollar a day uh, shoveling snow. You know, he, he, he did whatever he had to. You know, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet, just do what has to get done. And along the way, he keeps saying, this place is paradise. I mean, you have to, you have to remember where he'd come from. It might have been hard for him coming to America as an immigrant who didn't really speak English very well and no money, no context, no nothing, barely a, a grade school education, for heaven's sakes. But where he had been, <laughs> life in America, even in poverty, was, was paradise for him. So he's looking around and he's thanking his lucky stars. And he's saying, you know what, life really is worth living. What do I do now? When he made three vows, Catherine, he said to himself, I'll never go hungry again. I'm going to have a family, and I'm going to support the Jewish people and help them rebuild what they've lost. And the third vow was, whenever I see injustice, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to say something. And throughout his entire life, he never allowed bullies to beat him down. Never. Whether it was Jew haters in his village as a kid who one time dangled him over a meat grinder and threatened to make Jew meat out of him, or whether it was the guards in the camp beating him and starving him to death, or whether it was when he came to America standing up to the anti-Semites in oil and banking who just wanted to kick him out the door. Um, the Federal Reserve, <laughs> whose officers are appointed by the President of the United States, tried to get him to divest his companies because they said an oil company and a banking company is a conflict of interest. He would not let them do it. He would go into the office, of these federal agents, roll up his sleeve, point to the prisoner number tattooed on his arm in Auschwitz, and tell them to their face, the last guy who tried to intimidate me was Hitler. He didn't succeed, and neither are you. And he walked out and beat them at their own game. I mean, that's, that's, quite, that's the hero of this story, Unstoppable. Yeah, that, that's quite a story. Any, any surprises with with? Uh, Siggy that you didn't expect when you were writing the book or doing your research? I never expected anyone coming out of the Holocaust to experience such joy of life. I, and I, I'd written maybe a dozen books and uh, another 10 or 12 documentaries about the Holocaust, and I was done. <laughs> I was finished. I did not want to go back into that dark hole again. 
One day the phone rings, and it's Siggy Wilzig's son. I didn't know it at the time. His name is Ivan. He says, I've read some of your books. I, I, I really want you to write my father's biography. I said, Ivan, I'm, I'm done. I can't, I can't go into the darkness. I just wrote a biography of George Harrison. I just want to go toward the light. Now he said, no, 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 my father was the light. He was a shining beacon for every immigrant ever coming to America. He went on and on. I, I did some research, and I found out he was right. His father helped build the Washington Holocaust Museum. He was a staunch defender of, of the rights of, the, of underprivileged uh, uh, classes. Uh, he was a supporter of education. He was an amazing, amazing guy. And the thing that impressed me most, now I'm answering your question, he loved life so much that he would stand up in restaurants and start singing and dancing. He would come off more like an entertainer than a bank president. You know, and every I did a hundred interviews for this book. Everyone told me the same thing. He was an inspiration. He 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 was a joy. You know, he he was funny. He would make jokes all the time. You know, in the middle of a very very serious business meeting, he'd start doing twenty minutes of Jackie Mason. I mean, I was captivated by his personality. That was the big surprise for me. What about trust? I've always how does someone like him, like he, how do they develop a set of trust, trust to love somebody else, to have the family, to do the kinds of business that he did after being in those circumstances? Yeah, well, that's a good question. Um, coming through tragedy, you, we, we question whether we should ever love again, don't we? You know, if, if we've had our hearts broken, if, if the world has betrayed us, if we feel that, you know, there's no hope and everybody's against us, how can you ever trust yourself to feel happiness again? How can you ever dare to love again? Uh, these are really, really legitimate questions. Um, first of all, I mean, parenting is in everything, but Siggy had the benefit of very loving parents. I think if you have a mother and father who love you a lot, you've got a big step up in life. And so uh, he never totally lost his faith in humanity. He, he believed that at the core of everyone, there was a, a, a light of goodness. He, for example, he never blamed the, the, the children of, of, of German you know, Nazi officers or whatever uh, for what their parents did. He didn't, my, my grandmother, right, was the last survivor of a family of 15 who all died in Auschwitz. There were people in my family, they would never set foot in Germany again. They didn't like to hear the German language spoken. They would never buy a German car. I mean, you know, it, it really got extreme. Siggy never lost his faith that if you encourage people, if you give them an opportunity, they can shine. They can really shine. And how is this? because he had been on the opposite side of that. He had seen what it was like when you have nothing and you have no one. And so he dedicated his life to being, uh, you know, that glimmer of hope that people can hold on to. And Joshua, he was also, as I understand it, he was a, a Nazi hunter at the same time. That was surprising. Um, as a thank you to his liberators, the Americans liberated Camp Mauthausen in April of 1945. He was emaciated. He was down to 88 pounds uh, on the brink of death. They brought him to a Red Cross hospital, regained his health, and as a way of thanking his liberators, he volunteered to join the U.S. Counterintelligence Corps 
tracking down former Nazis. A, a lot of the operators of the camps had gone into the towns and villages in the surrounding area. And Linz, Austria, was one area that were more Nazis per square mile than probably anywhere else in Europe. He, very smart, spoke German, very self-confident. Now he's representing the victors. So he goes around and he asks, so do you, you know, I can cut you some slack. I can get you some favors with rations, you know, food rations, coupons, whatever. Anything you want to tell me about people in the neighborhood? And they would say, well, you know, there's this one guy. He lives up in that really fancy apartment there. Siggy went up with his team. They looked around, didn't find anything. And Siggy said, wait a minute, there's ashes in the fireplace. It's the middle of July. Who builds a fire in the middle of July? So he goes over, sticks his hand in the ashes, pulls out a bunch of half-burned photographs, and sure enough, there's the owner of the apartment shaking hands with top Nazi officials. Ends up arresting him, and along with him, finds the brother of Joseph Goebbels, Hitler's minister of propaganda. That was Siggy. Resourceful, um, insightful, and he took those skills. Here's what was amazing. Comes to America, like you said, 20 years old. Knows nobody, no education, no money. But these amazing, he called them fox-like instincts, (laughs) starts buying penny stocks. The stocks that he could afford with his little commissions from selling neckties ends up taking over a Texas oil and gas company, (laughs) builds it up, (laughs) and then goes and takes over a bank that's failing in New Jersey and builds that up. The whole thing, by the time he dies in 2003, had more than $4 billion in assets. I mean, if it weren't true, you wouldn't believe this story. This is such an, it is, it's an unbelievable story. I mean, and he was unstoppable. That's a great title for the book. There's no question about that. Yeah, it, it's it's a, but you mentioned the word instincts. It, it just brought me sort of back to instincts, whether you're in the camps, you have a certain, it's instincts that keep you, that one of the things that keep you alive, or whether you're in New York City doing, you know, building up businesses and stuff. It's kind of that same, isn't it? That same quality. We're on thin ice here, Catherine. This is a little tricky. Um, okay. in, in the s- academic circles of Holocaust studies, you have to be careful about ascribing to someone some advantage in the camps that allowed them to survive. I, I, let me tell you a quick story. There was a group here on Long Island where I live that approached me and said, hey, we'd like your help. We want to do a film about survivors who set up their lives on Long Island. I said, okay, show me something. They said, show me a flyer. The flyer said, these people embody all that is noble in the human spirit. Their survival shows us the uh, intrepid will, uh, the human spirit, the the will to survive, and these people are heroes. Okay, no, time out. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that the six million who didn't survive, they didn't have the will to live? They didn't have human spirit? They they were somehow uh, unheroic? You know, we, we, sometimes we invent an explanation for something to feel better. It says more about us than it does about what happened in history. So we have to be a little careful of that. That said, I hope I don't sound like I'm contradicting myself, we have to give some attention to the fact that if you pull yourself out of the hole, if you recognize that human life is a blessing, that... This is an opportunity. It's your life. 
you have a chance to do something with it. What's your problem? If this little guy with nothing can come out of Auschwitz, for heaven's sakes, and build a life that had him singing and dancing, what's our problem? You know, wh- why can't we maybe go the extra distance, not only for ourselves, but for others as well? I'll tell you one thing. That could only happen in America. Siggy would say that. He said, this is possible in America. One reason to read Unstoppable will make you feel good again about being an American. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I had a, my father fought in World War II, and that's, what, I mean, that was sort of his mantra. Yeah, don't, mm. you know, you, and was there for two years in active, a captain on a sub chaser. And that, you know, that's what he came, and didn't talk very much about the war, but that was one of the things he always said, you know, first of all, never give up your U.S. citizenship and always realize what, you know, this what a great country we live in. And he had, you know, yeah. the comparison, as you're, as you're saying. But getting back to the instinct, I don't necessarily mean that the people who died didn't, you know, um, died because they didn't do what they should have or could have done. I just meant that, and that all of us, uh, I mean, we are animals, and so some of us maybe are more attuned to our, I mean, and it may not have, and you still may have died, I guess is what I'm saying, but there's something about certain people who just are uh, very aware of what's happening to them, they make choices based on that, it doesn't, do you know what I'm trying to say, it's it, it just that that helps them to survive in those kinds of circumstances, Sure, of course, there are exceptional people like that. I mean, yes, Siggy was exceptional. There's no two ways about it. I mean, this is a guy who was so fearless, so fearless. I mean, again, if he were here, I think he would want your listeners to know, never give in to bullies. That would be his message. You know, bullies are just cowards who are pretending otherwise. He would want people to know that there's you can do more than you think yourself capable. That was his message. You and I'm sure that if he more. walked into a boardroom of people, you know, 10 men or women who are going to determine, you know, what's going to happen, whatever the business is, he, after five minutes, would have an idea of where each one of those people came from. That's all I'm saying. Oh, he, yeah. Oh, how about yeah. that? Yeah. No, you're quite <laughs> correct. His, his intuitions were razor sharp. He, he, he could size somebody up in half a second. And people, people had wonderful stories about how he would do that. Someone, be, uh, someone would come into his bank looking for a loan, and they'd be tapping their foot, you know, a little obsessively. So he would say, um, you know, my car just got a, a, a flat tire. I got to go. So good luck. <laughs> and he was out of there. He would say, uh, no, he, he wouldn't. You know, if he saw something that put him in, in doubt about someone's reliability, he was, he was out of there. But again, I, I think he would want... You know, yes, while he might have been exceptional, he wasn't unique. I think he would want us to know that, you know, we all have that in us. We have resources. Um, look for them. You will find them. And, and, uh, and, and go live your life and love your life. That was his well, message. That was his message. We need to read the book, Unstoppable. It's um, uh, Give us the website that we can go to. Like, we can buy it. Bookstores everywhere, online. Sure, you um, bet. Yeah. Yep. Unstoppable Siggy, S-I-G-G-I. UnstoppableSiggy.com. And Joshua, John, any, Barnes and Noble. Uh, yeah, all of those, right? So, what about your work yes, and sure. what you're doing? 
give us a web yeah because uh, you're unstoppable it sounds like all the stuff that you've done all right <laughs> oh so, you i bet you say that to all your guests i don't um, really <laughs> uh joshua m green with an dot info <laughs> great well it was great talking to you today thank you so much and for introducing us to ziggy my yeah my pleasure thank you Catherine. thank you I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 